My name is Andrew McGill, and I get to serve on staff here with the college ministry, PC3, and oh, what a Sunday to be with you all. This morning, we get to actually celebrate some of our own family members proclaiming and demonstrating their faith in Christ by being baptized. That's amazing. That is so much fun. We get to celebrate that they have experienced redemption, received grace, and are now joined in unity with Christ. So as we celebrate that today, please, would you reach out to the people getting baptized today? Would you please reach out and encourage them and welcome them into our family? So let us welcome them into our family here at Providence. And as you know, we are journeying through the book of Ephesians kind of at a snail's pace. And it's super fun because we actually get to slow down and really look at the words that Paul is writing to us. And this week we're going to tackle the next four verses. And we are going to see how this perfect and holy God accomplishes redemption. So I would like to invite you to open up your Bibles, whether they be digital or analog, to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to cover verses 7 through 10. Today we're going to look at what Jesus did. And then we're going to look at how he did it. And then we're going to ask the question, why? Why did Jesus do it? If Christ then gives us unimaginable redemption through undeserving grace, then our only response ought to be to reflect this beautiful truth to the whole world. Let me repeat that. If Christ gives us unimaginable redemption through undeserving grace, then our lives ought to reveal this unveiled, beautiful mystery to the whole world. And here's what's at stake. If we miss this, if we miss this grace-filled redemption, we will be left wandering the earth, scratching our heads with this mysterious question of, Why am I here? In addition to missing our purpose, if we miss this grace, peace, if we miss this redemption, peace, we are missing out on living out of the power of Christ. So if Christ gives us unimaginable redemption through undeserving grace, then our lives ought to reveal this unveiled mystery to the whole world. And as I've been wrestling with this truth over the past couple of weeks, I have found my heart getting really, actually pretty excited. It get, it's getting excited to see what the Lord will actually do through this church and in this city. And it's getting excited about what the Lord might do through you guys. And so for you note takers in the room, I've got three points this morning. Point one is unimaginable redemption. Point two is undeserving grace. And point three is unveiled mystery. So point one, unimaginable redemption. Point two, undeserving grace. Point three, unveiled mystery. Let me pray and then we'll get into it. Father in heaven, you are so good. You have given us Christ and in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of your grace which you've lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight according to your purposes that you have set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, all things in heaven and all things on earth. And for that, we're very thankful. This morning, would you be with us? Help us celebrate what you have done in the people who are getting baptized live. 
Oh, Lord, we are grateful for all that you've done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So our first point, unimaginable redemption. And let's just dive right into it. Let's read the first part of verse 7. So look, uh, read with me. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. And Paul doesn't want us to miss this point because Paul clarifies what that means by saying that we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. And that is good news. But I fear that we heard that and just kind of skipped over how important that really is. Are there any Parks and Rec fans out there? Anybody watch Parks and Rec? Okay, we got a few. Well, there's this episode where Ron Swanson and Leslie Nope uh, find themselves in a diner because Ron's favorite steakhouse had closed down and he's all upset and bent out of shape. And uh, the, the waiter at this diner comes up and is going to take their order. And Ron Swanson says, give me all the bacon and eggs that you have. <laughs> and so the waiter kind of looks at him a little puzzled and turns around and starts walking away. And Ron stops in mid-stride and goes, son, I fear what you heard was give me a lot of bacon and eggs, but what I actually said was give me all of your bacon and eggs. And it kind of feels like Paul is doing that to us right here. He says, we have redemption through his blood. And then mid-sentence, it's like Paul is saying, son, I fear what you heard was that your trespasses have just been overlooked. What I actually said was that your sins have been forgiven and paid for in full. This word to redeem, it it means to purchase something or someone out of. And there's a price that is paid because there is a debt that is owed. And in the biblical usage of redemption, it usually refers to purchasing someone out of slavery. So when Paul says that we have redemption through the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of our trespasses, let us not gloss over that as some sort of spiritual enhancement that we receive for being a fan of Jesus. Redemption through the blood of Christ means that Christ had to shed his blood in order to purchase our redemption. Our trespasses cost something. And even on earth, they cost something. Like if I steal a car, there are consequences for that. Or if you lie to a friend or to a spouse, there are consequences for that. On an eternal level, our sin costs something. And the price of that sin is death. Or as Paul puts it in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Providence, our sin is not a minor offense punishable by a minor slap on the wrist. Our sin is deservingly and devastatingly deserving of death. Our offense is against our creator. Our sin is against the very nature of him who created us. And according to the justice of God, he will judge and pour out, on, pour out his wrath on those who rebel against him. And somebody has to pay. And that will either be us or someone else. And right here, Paul tells us that it's Jesus. Paul tells us that our sin is paid for in full, not by us, but by the Lord Jesus himself. That is good news. 
We have been redeemed through the blood of Christ, the perfect and precious blood of Christ. It was shed for the forgiveness of our trespasses. He has purchased us out of slavery that our sin and death brings. He has liberated us from our greatest problem. He has paid it all. Not because we deserved it. We actually deserved what Jesus took for us. And that what makes it, that's what makes it unimaginable redemption. Let me illustrate this a little bit. Uh, I had a car, and uh, for many of you who have known me for quite a while, uh, you will know how much I actually loved this car. I called it Babe the Blue Ox. Um, yeah, there's some people who know Babe. Um, Babe was a uh, 2007 uh, windshield washer fluid blue uh, two-door hatchback Ford Focus. So think of a minivan and then shrink it down and make it windshield washer fluid blue. And it was a, a five-speed manual, and I loved that car. It got like 45 miles to the gallon. I, I felt like I was so cool, even though I wasn't. And uh, anyways, at this time in my life, this was probably... Oh, probably three or four years ago. Uh, that's all I had. I didn't have any cool clothes. I didn't have a fancy haircut. I wasn't married yet. And for the guys in the room, you know that you get all of those things when you get married. But at the time, all I had was my car. And I think I had an iPad, maybe a suit, uh, a couple Bibles, and then maybe like a meal ticket or something like that to the Lighthouse Pizza or something. And it was all in my car. And I was working at City Light U, which is the college ministry over at uh, City Light Church, and uh, we were getting ready to take a bunch of college students to the Denver Christmas Conference. And so, of course, I had a bunch of guys over at my house, and we were uh, planning on leaving at like 1.30 in the morning to catch a bus, and then it, it was going to be crazy. It's what college students do. It's wonderful. And it's the middle of uh, the winter, and so I go out and start my car up, and as long as I had this car... I thought to myself, nobody knows how to drive a manual transmission, and so I don't have to lock my doors ever, because nobody can steal it, because nobody can drive it. So I go out, start it up, to heat it up, and walk back inside, and I kid you not, three minutes later, I walk back out, and my car's gone. It's like 1.30 in the morning. On top of all of that, I have the flu, and so I'm throwing up. I have a ton of college students that I'm supposed to get to City Light Midtown so that they can catch a bus to go out to Denver because they purchased all of these tickets, and my car is gone. Not just that, everything I had that was important was in that car, and it's gone. And so I go, okay, I got to get these students there. And so I go and wake up my roommate. I borrow his car, and then I call the police, and then they come over, and they said... Well, we'll keep an eye out for it. And I did have a sliver of hope, though, because I had the most recognizable car in all of Omaha. Windshield washer fluid blue, shrunken down minivan. I throw out a Facebook message, and actually, Pastor Jared was actually, I think he actually saw it at one point. You should ask him about that story, because it's actually pretty funny. But about a week later, I get a phone call from the police, and they found it which I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And uh, they had actually arrested the person who had stolen it. And uh, it turns out the person who stole it was cooking meth in my car, uh, had sold everything in my car that was of any value, uh, had somehow wrecked it a little bit and popped a tire. And so they had the donut on there and it was at the impound lot. I said, okay, what are my options? And I said, well, you have to go get it out of the impound lot in so many weeks. And so uh, my dad and I 
getting, a, getting his minivan and his actual size minivan to go get my shrunken now minivan and uh, something about an apple not falling far from the tree. And uh, we get to the impound lot and I actually have to purchase my own car out of the impound lot. What? My car was stolen. But I had to purchase my car out of the impound lot. And when we got there, there was a random axe in the front seat and it was trashed. It smelled like meth. There was a donut on it. It was terrible. And nobody in their right mind would actually want this car. It was trashed. It was stripped of everything. It had a tire missing. It smelled like meth. And it wasn't worth that much. It had a bunch of miles on it. And it was probably only worth a few more dollars than the scrap value. But to me, it was worth much more than just a car. It was everything that I had. Now, granted, I didn't have much, but it's about the illustration here. (laughs) I had to go buy my car from the impound lot. And when I got it, it was not clean. The impound lot wasn't going to clean it. The person who stole it wasn't going to clean it. My insurance company wasn't going to cover it because it wasn't on my property when it got stolen. I had to clean it. So I paid the money to get it out of the impound lot. I cleaned it up. I repurposed it. I gave it new life. And just a a couple months ago, I got to actually sell that car to my cousin who needed a car. He was 20 years old, and he thinks it's the coolest thing, which I think is really wonderful. But to think that somebody would actually want that car in the state that I found it is unimaginable. It was broken. It was ugly. It smelled but I wanted it because I loved it. I purchased what was mine. I redeemed my car. I cleaned it up, brought new life to it, and recently I got to sell it. Now forgive me if this feels a little cheesy here, but on a much greater and much more glorious scale, this is what Christ has done for us. In just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate people getting baptized which is a visible demonstration of this unimaginable redemption. As these people are dunked underneath the water, it symbolizes how they were a lot like, at one point, my forward focus, a battered mess in the impound lot. But as they come out of the water, it is a symbolic act that God would take that broken forward focus, purchase it out of the impound lot, bring it to new life, clean it up, repurpose it, and give it new life. And here's something else. As we sit here this morning, we're a beautiful example of this exact same redemption. And I think we can kind of fall into this uh, idea that we're just a bunch of good Christians going to church because that's what good Christians do. But don't let us forget that we too were once battered and tattered And at one point in our lives, like a Ford Focus in an impound lot. And Christ did the unimaginable. He brought us unimaginable redemption. To buy us out of the impound lot when no one else would want us. He cleans us up. He repurposes us and gives us new life. Praise God. Am I right? No longer are we slaves to sin and death. No longer are we in the impound lot. We have been liberated by our triumphant Savior who has brought unimaginable redemption and forgiveness. So what has Christ done? He's given us unimaginable redemption. The next question I want to ask then is, how did he do that? 
So let's keep reading to find out. Look back uh, in your Bible, starting at the last half of verse 7, and we'll go into verse 8. It says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Point two is undeserving grace. Point one answered the question of what Christ did. And here in point two, we're going to see how Christ accomplished our redemption. And Paul says that Christ accomplished our redemption by lavishing upon us the riches of his grace. And grace is the undeserving, unmerited, unearned favor of God. Let me repeat that. Grace is the undeserving, unmerited, unearned favor of God. So Christ accomplished our unimaginable redemption through the riches of his undeserving, unmerited, unearned favor. And Paul wanted to drive home this point that it was the riches of God's grace because he uses the word lavish, that God lavished this grace upon us. God lavishing the riches of his grace upon us has this imagery of superabundance, without end, overwhelming amounts. And it, it wasn't like God was heating, over, heating up leftover grace from the night before and just kind of giving us what was left. It is out of the riches of the overwhelming abundance, the all-consuming multitude of his grace which he lavished upon us. This last summer, I got to lead a mission trip with Gabe and, and uh, Kim. Kim, will, I think, will be at the 11 o'clock service. But we led a mission trip to uh, Mexico City to partner with the local church. And uh, we'd give these Bible lessons to these little niños. And uh, the little itty-bitty niños, we would ask them, Dios te ama un poco o mucho? Which means, does God love you a little bit or a lot? And the little niños would just yell out with deafening determination, mucho, mucho, and they would just throw their arms up and scream it. It was so, so cute to hear them say this. And I mean, they would legit scream it. And it kind of feels like Paul is doing the same thing to us here, saying according to the riches of his grace, his mucho, mucho grace that was mucho lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Christ looked at the price of our redemption and he knew full well what it would cost him. He looked into his bank account to see how much grace he had. And unlike our bank accounts, there was no end to his grace. He then outgraced our sin finished the race for us, poured out everything he had, knowing full well we would not be able to bring anything to the table. And his grace doesn't just supplement what is inherently good inside of us. His grace and his grace alone accomplishes our redemption. His all-consuming, mucho grace is poured out intentionally with all wisdom and insight, accomplishing exactly what he knew it would accomplish. It was not reckless. It was not haphazard. It was perfect. It was precise. And it was with all wisdom and insight. 
And to illustrate this a little bit, I have a, uh, my wife and I just bought a house and we have my cousin Cody and she lives in the basement and she's got this itty bitty dog. His name's Rio. Uh, Rio has no teeth. He's, I think, 13 years old and he's a Chihuahua rat terrier mix. My cousin rescued him and Rio lives to sit on people's laps. That's it. If that's all he did for the rest of his life, he would be just fine. And I hope that someday you get to meet Rio and you'll go, that's exactly what he lives for. And Rio is kind of funny though because he walks around the house and just anywhere always flinching. Just like every step, he just flinches. And when he's drinking water, he's flinching. As he's drinking water and as he's eating, he's flinching. And if you snap your fingers like that, he flinches. Or if you clap, he flinches. And why he does that, I'm not really sure. But he walks around his entire life nervous that the next sound that he hears, something terrible is going to happen to him. But all he ever gets is a warm lap to sit in. My cousin actually makes food for him, like homemade food. And it's like sweet potatoes, turkey, rice. And it's like, I tried it and it's actually really good. (laughs) But all he gets is the comfort of life. My cousin has just provided a great, great home for him. But it's almost like Rio walks around still constantly thinking someone is going to hurt him. And I wonder if we do that with God sometimes. I wonder if we get so afraid of his wrath or doing the wrong thing that we just kind of expect him to smite us on the spot. Whenever we hear a snap or a clap in our lives, we flinch expecting God to hurt us. But here in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is telling us that when we deserved what was coming to us, we actually received the riches of God's grace. That's crazy. Let this sink in. If you have been redeemed, if you have been forgiven, it's all because of God's grace being lavished upon you in all wisdom and insight. And whenever you feel like you should be punished for something that you have done, whenever you feel like God should hurt you or cause you pain, if you have been redeemed, he actually pours out grace upon you. When you flinch expecting something coming from God, God is actually there to lavish his grace upon you. Just like Rio truly has nothing to be afraid of, He gets nothing but the best food and the warmest laps to sit on. On an infinitely greater way, God has the riches of his grace to lavish upon you. And you might say, I don't deserve that. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough mother. I'm not a good enough father. I'm not pretty enough, or I'm not handsome enough, or I'm not skinny enough, or I'm not big enough, or I'm not smart enough, or I'm not accomplished enough, or I don't read my Bible enough, or I don't pray enough, or I don't do enough. You don't know what I've done in my past, and you don't know what I'm currently doing. I'm too broken. I'm too messy. Or insert whatever objection you have. And here's the truth. This is the truth of God's word. That's the point. You aren't, you can't, you won't, and you don't deserve the grace of God. 
And praise be to God, it is that way. Because if you could somehow earn it, then you could lose it. And if you could lose it, you would. Because we are not strong enough or good enough or whatever enough to keep it. But God, out of the overwhelming abundance of his undeserving grace, his unmerited favor, his unearned favor, he has purchased our redemption through the blood of Christ and he did it all on purpose. And because he has done that, we cannot lose it. We can't, cannot outrun it. We cannot outsin it. We cannot supplement it. We cannot make it better because it is already perfect. We don't deserve it. We can't deserve it. We won't deserve it. Therefore, the next time you say, I can't even blank, you're right. That's the point. And he gave it to you anyway. Christ has lavished us with undeserving grace. Point one was unimaginable redemption. Point two is undeserving grace. So if we have this redemption and we have this grace, it's because God is unveiling a mystery to us. Which brings us to the final point this morning in our last few verses of our text. Let's read verses 9 through 10. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Our third point is called unveiled mystery, and it shows us why God did what he did and how he did it. So it's the why behind what Christ has done. And Paul says, making known the mystery of his will. And then there's this comma, and then there's some nuanced stuff about being set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And then he says, why? He says, to unite all things in him. And essentially, Paul is saying in these verses that God is giving us grace and he's redeeming us so that he can unite all things in Christ. And what that means is we have a reason we are saved. That means that we have a reason that we're redeemed. And it's not so we can have this spiritual, personal enhancement. It's not so that we can show up on Sundays to look a little better or feel a little better. Our redemption and God's grace is for something so much bigger than us. It's to unite all things in Christ. God's undeserving grace brought our unimaginable redemption so that God can unite all things in Christ. All things in heaven, all things on earth are going to be united in Christ, which then implies that they currently aren't because it's future language. He is going to do that, right? And we only need to watch, I don't know, 30 seconds of the nightly news to know that the world is not united whether it be Democrats or Republicans or a border wall somewhere, we see division and we see disunity. Even with, within families, we see disunity. We see divorce and horrible, horrible abuse all over the place. But I don't want to advocate for some political party. And actually, this morning, I don't even want to talk into a disunified family 
I instead want to point our eyes to Christ and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. Christ is in the process of unifying all things in himself on a cosmic level. The language Paul uses in this passage actually reminds us of Genesis chapter 1 where it says God created all the heavens and all the earth and everything in them. And then we see that sin enters the world bringing disunity, yes, on an individual level, but also on a cosmic scale. All of creation suffers from this disunity that sin has brought into the world. And like a venomous snake injects its venom into the wound and it spreads throughout the whole body, our sin injected disunity into the very fabric of God's creation. And then Christ was put forth as the anti-venom to reverse the effects of our sin, not only in our lives, but in the whole world. He paid the price for our redemption with his blood on the, Christ, on the cross. And through the death of Christ, death itself actually began to work backwards because Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus actually came back to life victoriously, victorious over death. And in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And this is where this lands for us. Paul is saying that we have this unimaginable redemption according to the undeserving grace of God, and it's for this unveiled mystery. We have been redeemed by God's grace to unite all things in Christ. Christ has defeated death, overcome sin, and our new role as a redeemed people of God is to spread that glorious truth, that wonderful anti-venom to all of creation. And we don't have a whole lot of access to the heavens, but we have a lot of access to the world. So let's just start with the world. One of my dear friends, Nathaniel Moore, is going to hop on a plane in about a month and a half to go to Thailand, where there are millions and millions of people who have never heard that Jesus offers them redemption and forgiveness. There are millions and millions of people all over the world who live their entire lives in disunity feeling the effects of the venom that our sin has brought into the world. And God has redeemed us, given us his grace, so that we can go to them and offer it to them as well. But he hasn't given us this burden, this new purpose to just shoulder on our own. Providence, he has lavished the riches of his overwhelming all-consuming, radical, undeserving grace upon us. And if he has done that, then we can unveil the mystery that Christ is uniting all things in himself. If Christ has done that, then our job is to tell people about the anti-venom that is available in Christ. If Christ has given us unimaginable redemption through undeserving grace, then our lives ought to reveal the truth of this unveiled mystery to the whole world. 
We're baptizing, we're about to baptize people today, and it symbolizes just that. It symbolizes that these people have been unimaginably redeemed by undeserving grace because God is unveiling his mystery, that he is uniting all things in Christ. These people have received the anti-venom of Christ, and now they can tell others about it. Providence, let us go forth as God's redeemed with the power of God's grace to unite all things in Christ. Let me pray. Christ, we have redemption through your blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of your grace which you have lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. According to your purposes, which you have set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Lord, we celebrate this morning that you are still doing that. And you will continue to do that until all things are united in you. And until that day, would we be filled with your grace and work out of your strength towards the goal of unifying all things in you. In Jesus' name, amen.